morning we're looking at Jesus' famous last words in John, the book of John. Now, if you look on your uh, outlines, you'll see there's a picture. It's a mural that da Vinci did, The Last Supper, about 1450-something. And uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at it properly. It's a very famous mural that he did on the wall of a monastery in Italy. And it was, it was actually a failed experiment. <laughs> the, paint, the paint started to flake and decay within decades. He tried experimental pigments and an experimental method, and it didn't work out. In fact, what we see today, this picture and the, and the mural that's still there, is a result of numerous restoration attempts over hundreds of years based on copies of the work, descriptions. The most recent restoration attempt used radioscopic imagery on, on the actual wall. And the painting that's there today, they said about a fraction of it is still da Vinci's original work. A fraction, by the way, is less than 1%. It's less than one. <laughs> so it's amazing, right? That this famous mural is actually, it's not what it seems. But this hasn't stopped people from breaking it apart in other ways. You know, trying to find hidden meanings in it. I, I think it's a hobby for some people. They get a kick out of it. Like... There's one where, the, if you look at the picture closely, there's a salt container or some salt spilled over next to Judas' elbow. People have been going on about that spilled salt for hundreds of years. What does it mean? Or the fish that is served. Is it some sort of eel or is it freshwater fish? They... They're going crazy about what kind of fish <laughs> was being served there. I don't know how they think that a painter would, would know any of the secret information. This is the most bizarre one. In 2010, a lady named Sabrina Galizia translated what she saw as mathematical and astrological indicators in da Vinci's work as a message from the artist about the end of the world. And for those of you that are wondering, it's going to end in the year 4006. That's what she concluded. This is incredibly sad, because even though it's a beautiful painting, it is. It's an amazing work of art. The sad thing is how much mystical reverence people give to this depiction when what it depicts is so profound. John 14 to 16, uh, 17, the final hours of Jesus' before Jesus' crucifixion, we read these famous lost words. We read this conversation that he has with his disciples around that table. I want to read you a piece from a commentary uh, introducing this portion of scripture. 
It's from James Foster and Brown. We now come to that portion of the evangelical history which we may with proprietary call its holy of holies. Oh man, I love that. This portion of scripture is like the holy of holies in the temple. Our evangelist with a capital E talking about Jesus, like a consecrated priest alone opens up to us the view into the sanctuary. It is the record of the last moments spent by the Lord in the midst of his disciples before his passion, when the words full of heavenly thought flowed from his sacred lips, all that his heart, glowing with love, had still to say to his friends was compressed into this short session. I think it's a very apt description. I couldn't agree more. That if the holiest of holies in the temple was was the sacred personal space that only the, the high priest went into once a year, this conversation, this personal few words between the people that he loved the most on this earth at the time, it's special. And we get to see that. So if you're here this morning and you do know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, understanding what he did on the cross in his infinite mercy and love towards you, then these words are for you as well, in a personal way, just as they were for the disciples. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, I don't have a relationship like that, then maybe treat this time as an awakening uh, uh, to, to see Jesus in a different perspective. Maybe by the end you, you say, I didn't know that. I didn't know that this is the person that Jesus was. And approach it with an open mind. So as I said, we are starting today's message with uh, Jesus' famous last words. And it begins in chapter 14 with the famous Verse, I'm sure we have all heard in some point in our life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to look at that today. So let's read verse uh, chapter 14, verse 1 to 7, and then we'll jump into it with some context from the previous chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Lord, we do thank you that you have opened up your 
your truth to us. You have preserved it, that we may read it confidently and, and with great assurance that this is what you have for us. I pray that we may learn from these next few chapters and grow in it and grow our faith in you. Amen. Before we get into chapter 14, it doesn't happen in a bubble, you know? He doesn't walk into the room and out of thin air announce, I am the way. <laughs> um, there's a lot that happened before this, and, and to, to do the passage from justice, we're going to look at chapter 13. It, it should tint what we read further on. Now, you can preach an entire series on chapter 13, and I'm tempted to, but we're just going to look at some major events that happened. They're in the upper room, and three things here. Jesus accuses his betrayer. In fact, Jesus washes his disciples' feet first. Then he accuses his betrayer. And thirdly, he gives them a new commandment. It says in 13 verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And that was the introduction to what follows. He accuses his betrayer. Jesus doesn't name him outright. In fact, he says, I'm going to dip a morsel of bread and the person who I pass it to is my betrayer. And it shocked <laughs> the, the disciples. They were murmuring one to another, is it you, is it me? I, I don't know. In fact, that's the moment that the painting depicts. You can see they're turning to each other, well, who, who? And uh, they even ask, Lord, who is it? And he gives this roundabout way of pointing out his betrayer. But it wasn't meant for the disciples as a whole. They didn't get it. <laughs> it was meant for Judas. I know that it's you. He said, speaking to his betrayer directly, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And it says, they didn't know what that meant. Did he mean Judas must do it quickly? Like he was carrying the money bag, right? So maybe Jesus thought that meant he needed to go get some things for a feast, the Passover feast. It says that there. They were trying to figure out why is he, why did he just say that? The things that Jesus did in, in chapter 3, he even says, uh, these things won't make sense to you now. You have to look back. And so it didn't. And we see in scripture that it didn't make sense. But Judas knew what it meant. And that's who he intended it for. And so Judas left. And from then on, it's believers. There's, there's not an unbeliever there. There's not one who doesn't confess that Christ is indeed Lord. They might not have had all the puzzle pieces. They might not have understood the full weight of what was coming, but they knew Jesus was Lord. And already it tints this, this next conversation in a different way to his other sermons. The Sermon on the Mount, for example, was an open-air broadcast. Yes, it was, it's true, it's profound. 
and eye-opening, taught about human nature and the law and the nature of righteousness. But this is tinted in a different way, especially then we know that Judas actually left after this. The next one is that he washes their feet. In fact, that happens first. <laughs> My apologies. He did this exact practice, and he said, you call me Lord, and that's right, because I am. But especially in light of that, what I'm about to do means that you cannot elevate yourself higher than this. I set the bar. And um, he demonstrates the servant's heart that he himself exhibited. Peter even goes, Lord, this is such an honor. I, I can't believe you're doing this. Please honor me more and wash my hands and my face as well. <laughs> it's just like him. Hey, um, sincere but very misinformed. Jesus actually uses this as a segue to accuse Judas. He says, you are clean. Not everyone here is clean. And then he gives them a new commandment. In a sense, it's not a new commandment. In Deuteronomy, one of the earliest Jewish writings, it says, love the Lord your God. And in Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor. But in a sense, it is a new commandment because the way Jesus states it, he says, and you shall love one another as I have loved you something that would have been impossible up to this point to be obedient to. They didn't know who Jesus was. It's only that he has come and we know the person of Jesus Christ that we can fully understand that command and, and live in it. So in a sense, yes, it is a new commandment, but it doesn't mean that God was unloving and now he is loving. <laughs> Notice that everything that's said from the beginning of chapter 13, right through, Jesus initiates it. Jesus talks about himself. He is, in all the senses, the focus. And then we come into chapter 14, where he says, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm sure after all of this, they were a bit troubled. He said somebody was going to accuse him, and then he washed our feet, and then he, he even calls out Peter's denial in chapter 13 as well. They were very frail. They're like, oh, I don't know what's going on. This is, this is not normal. And so let not your hearts be troubled. He, he doesn't look to the cross that is coming or the, the, the pain that is coming. He draws their attention to beyond that to the glory that it leads to. He says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. The word is, is dwelling. Some translations even use the word room to connect to the house. But there is a separate word for room. It's dwelling. It, it incorporates everything you need to live. I think that's more descriptive than the word room. So it says mansions. There are many mansions. There's plenty of space. It's not going to be a select few. 
It's not going to be just the people here in this room. It's going to be a lot. That's exciting and encouraging. And he says, for every soul that is saved, I'm going to make a space for. I love it that this illustration of this destination is beginning to be formed. And he continues with this. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. The truth about heaven (laughs) is that it's heaven because God is there. That's what makes it heaven. It's not going to be this party and it's not going to be easy living for the rest of eternity and it's not going to be any of those things are going to be the focus. The fact that we are with God, that's what makes it heaven. Just FYI, if you're not, if you don't like worshiping now, you're not going to like heaven. (laughs) And then they ask, you know, still not quite grasping the gravity of these words. Uh, Thomas said, Lord, we know not where you go. We, we don't know how to get there. You're, if you say you're going and you have to go without us, can we get some directions on how to get there? And, uh, and Jesus says, sure, I'll give you some directions. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It brings us to our next point, that Jesus is the route that we take. He is the way. I feel like I need to address this even though it might be obvious. Sincerity is not enough. If you do not worship in truth, you cannot find your way to the Father. He makes that clear. Abundantly so. He even, in First John, I think this conversation really had an impact on on this writer, because First John is basically this few chapters. It says, he who denies the Son denies the Father also. There are millions and millions of people in the world, Jehovah's Witnesses, they deny the deity of Christ. Latter-day Saints, they deny the deity of Christ. Many other <laughs> world religions, They deny the person of Jesus Christ. There are not many ways up the mountain. There is one way. This is the way that we get there through him. By him is the correct preposition. Maybe it's obvious, but I feel that it needs to be said because looking out at the world... It's not as obvious as we might think. You cannot cobble together a belief system and call it true just because you believe it. (laughs) If what you believe is different from Scripture or what I believe, then I need to change. God is not going to change. God is not going to entertain the vogue of the the generation or the the current political climate he is eternal he doesn't care how many dislikes he gets on facebook 
we are the ones that need to adjust. He is the journey. He says, I am the truth that in Jesus Christ, we have the knowledge to live this life for the glory of God. When we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, it would be nice if we can just bid this world goodbye and uh, be with the Lord. But he says, you still have a lifetime here and I am the truth. Now you need to live it, to be obedient to it, to submit to it, to revere it in truth. The Bible teaches us how to pray. Did you know that? That there's a wrong way and a right way to pray? I didn't. (laughs) Okay, I did. But if that's your reaction, don't worry. Pick up your Bible and find out. That's the beauty of it. We have truth in the Lord. They ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. There's many passages on the practice. And there is a right way and a wrong way. If you claim to be a Christian and you do not submit completely and utterly to the words of, these, of this book, perhaps there's some self-evaluation required. The next one, that he is the destination. So he is the life. Again, in 1 John, he says, we touched and we handled and we looked upon the word of life. That, that in Jesus Christ is the embodiment of, of life and eternal life. I mean, it's not a coincidence that we call Jesus the word, the word of God. And in the beginning, God used his words to create the universe. I think that's very purposeful. It says that he sustains creation. So in the person of Jesus Christ is eternal life. And it's not an afterthought. It's not a bonus. Eternal life is absolutely and vitally necessary. Think about this. How can we claim to have a relationship with Christ, a relationship with God, an eternal, unending being, if we ourselves have a finite life to live. It's like claiming somebody riding past you on a bike and say, hey, that's my best friend in the whole wide world. Really, he he just drove past you and kind of glanced at you? That's the same. Eternal life is absolutely and vitally necessary for our relationship with God to be restored to God without him giving us eternal life would be pointless. (laughs) And it is in Jesus Christ. That's why other religions don't work. (laughs) We cannot get to God and expect there to be eternal life at the end of that road without Jesus Christ. Say, actually... You left him behind there. It's not here. (laughs) It's over there. That's why we cannot separate the two. That's why Jesus Christ is the only way. And to remove any aspect of who he is, it's a Jenga block. 
whole thing falls apart if we, in our own wisdom, try to alter anything about who the person of Jesus Christ is. Nothing else works then. In fact, it's not true then. It becomes a lie. See, in this painting, da Vinci uses perspective and dimension very masterfully. And this is not a hidden message. This is just artistic design. I'm not personally familiar with it, but I can understand the concept. If you look at the perspective and the dimension of the painting, Jesus Christ is at the center. He's the focal point of the the painting. But if you draw straight lines out from that focal point, you'll see the windows line up and the table lines up and the dimensions of the roof all fit very neatly into that perspective. I think it's, it's awesome that this guy, this painter, even he understood <laughs> there's the focus of this story. So let's be honest now with ourselves. Is Jesus the center of what we do and what we, what we are? No, not always. Even in ministry, we can forget to focus on Christ. Even in our works of, of righteousness and our, our Christian living, we can lose focus very easily. We can forget why we're doing this. <laughs> What's the point? And temptation comes and... We struggle to get back up when life knocks us down. We, we forget the hope that is in Jesus Christ and the motivation and the point. We come in and we sit here and we listen to the pastor speak and we go home and we get hung up on our theological you know, hills that we die on and we follow this preacher and this author and this guy and we we forget what the point is unnecessarily i am not saying that any of these things are inherently wrong serving in ministry is is good but if i'm serving and i forget the point i'm wasting my time i find that without realizing it we've been preaching the gospel a lot this month in all different kinds of platforms. And I think it's good that we are reminded. So this is another reminder. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he did it as a caution. Do not forget. We can so easily lose sight of what is important. Lord, we do thank you again for this time. We thank you for this message and We look forward to exploring the rest of the chapters. I pray that you help us focus on your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to remain steadfast in that focus. It's so easy to get distracted. And may this motivate us to reach the lost, knowing that if we do not say something, there is no other way. We thank you that you are truth, you are unchanging, that it brings us confidence and encouragement. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.